Hello, 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 everybody, and welcome back to another wonderful holiday-tinged edition of the Industrial Cybersecurity Pulse podcast. Happy to have you back, especially as we move here into the holidays, I believe, when this one's going to be released. Uh, Thanks for being with us. I am one of your people, Gary Cohen. And I am the other one of your people, Tyler Wall. I also want to point out that Tyler Wall, as we are recording this, is wearing a Christmas sweater. It is the season. Tis the season. I yes, though my sweater has a picture of Santa on it, some a couple of gifts on there, and it says, "Your mom believes in Santa." <laughs> I won't call you a liar. She might. I don't know. I'd have to call her and ask her. Um, great, another great podcast for you today. They're all great, right? They're they're all wonderful. Uh, I got a great guest here, Dom Lombardi, who's one of my favorite named guests so far. Dom Lombardi, uh, VP of Security and Trust at Kanji. Uh, we're going to be talking about mobile device management, among other things. But before we get into that, Tyler, I do have a question for you. Please ask away. Where would we be without a question? All right. What is the bravest slash scariest thing you've ever done? So this could be the realm of I went skydiving. I did something that scared the hell out of you and you did it anyway. Um. Yeah, I think one of the... One of the scarier things that I've done, or like something that I guess I had to really just, I, I'm afraid of public speaking. Like that is a, I mean, a lot of people probably, that's not uncommon, but you know, public speaking is something. Which, I, which is I, of course why we put you on a podcast. I know, exactly. It's something I've had to work on. Especially Face your fears, with, damn it. Like, yeah, I know. Especially with like a live group. So okay. in high school, I was in, this isn't quite public speaking, but I was in a jazz band. So was in the top level jazz band at our high school, my senior year of high school. I uh, played guitar, and during our last performance, um, my band director asked me to play a guitar solo. Uh, I had never played a solo up until that point, and we were playing. It was jazz at the. It was jazz at the riverfront, and it was like there were like a lot of people there. It was like a couple hundred people there. And I had to come up with a solo to play. And it was, I don't even remember it happening. Like, I, I don't, it's kind of like blacked out while I was actually try, trying, keyword being trying to play this solo. Um, so I think that was one of the more, I have to, you know, really just clutch up and actually just, just do it kind of things. But I was, I was very nervous beforehand. So. I was, my hands were super sweaty. I was like wiping my hands constantly for like the 16 bars before I was in. It was, it was a whole thing, but I did it. That's my, you you didn't have a solo planned. He was just like, just improvise, freewheel, do something. So he told me, told me the day before, I believe it was, it was like the rehearsal. He was like, I want everybody to take a solo on this, including you. And, um, so it was my, it was my first improvised solo for, for jazz band it wasn't completely improvised i tried to iron something out beforehand so i didn't look like a total fool um but yeah so yeah. It, was, it was a thing I, i've never had a fear of public speaking per se. i mean i don't think anybody loves public speaking but no. i did never had a fear of it but then i did for years i did stand-up comedy for a little while and then i did improv you know went through like the second city program in chicago and improv olympic and did that for years i think that beat any fear of being in front of people out of me. Is it, that's the quickest way to do it, I think. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Now I'm like, whatever. It doesn't matter if I don't have anything to say. I'll come up with something. Well, as evidenced by all of the witty repartee here on the podcast. 
Oh, yeah. Um, all right. Before we dive into uh, cybersecurity, which is why we're here, right? Industrial cybersecurity. I want to talk about cybersecurity. Uh, there, so we've been asking people on the podcast, especially during Cybersecurity Awareness Month, about their favorite or an impactful cybersecurity movie or TV show. What's one that comes to mind? We got all kinds of answers from like Parks and Rec, which you would never think of, to Mr. Robot, which you would think of. Uh, there is here for the holiday season. There is a big new splashy Netflix movie, Leave the World Behind, that is tangentially cybersecurity related. It's uh, uh, I don't think Tyler's seen it yet. It's Julia Roberts and Mahershala Ali and Ethan Hawke and Kevin, Kevin Bacon. Really good cast, but done by the same guy who did Mr. Robot, who, uh, truth be told, as we were talking to people about cyber cybersecurity practitioners about their favorite movie or TV show, a lot of them went, yeah, I started watching Mr. Robot and it was just too realistic, so I stopped watching it because... It's like my day job. Um, so, yeah, this one is uh, about there. there's these people leave New York to somewhere. I think it's in Long Island uh, and things start going wrong. Weird things start happening and they get these little hints that it's a, a massive cyber attack that has taken down the grids and et cetera, et cetera. And there's. Uh, one character in it that keeps talking about it, taking down power plants. So talking about like OT attacks and yeah, I, I, I will tell you, it was not my favorite movie I've ever watched. Um, but was interesting as I was sitting there watching it and going, Oh, this is kind of relevant. It's kind of relevant to what we do for a living. So, uh, yeah, it's, I mean, I'd say if you work in cybersecurity, give it a shot. It's interesting. It was, uh, not my favorite I've seen, but that now has to go into the pantheon of cybersecurity movies and TV shows. Yeah, no, I haven't I haven't watched that one yet. I'll have to give that one a watch because that is very relevant. Plus, I want to I want to be able to gauge what I've learned, you know, be able to identify like what they're talking about a little bit. Not that they really know what they're talking about as much, uh, but, uh, you know, I I think that would be fun to do. So I, I'm going to make it my goal to watch that before before our next podcast. Yeah, the person I was watching it with, I was watching it with my girlfriend at the time, and I would stop it and be like, let me explain something. And she kept going, are you trying to help me like this more or less? I don't understand what you're doing. Why are you telling me this stuff? And so then I, I stopped and just let her enjoy the ride. Um, yeah, so today we are, This is there was no segue there at all. I'm just a hard stop right into the, the meat of the podcast. Um, and so we're talking to Don Lombardi about a number of things, but Mobile device management is is the big topic, which I think is not that it hasn't always been relevant, but boy, did the pandemic make that more relevant. Yeah, well, I, I mean, you kind of expect that to be the case on some level, right? Especially with, you know, workers becoming more remote and um, the whole, yeah, the whole shift to work from home. And you just, the importance too of making sure people, and I'm terrible about this, not working on their own personal devices and, you know, logging into their different accounts on their personal devices and um, just everything like that. And then also you have to also there's extra concern, too, with network security at your home. And are you protected on that front? So there's a lot of layers to the mobile device management in terms of uh, the past couple of years with with remote work taking kind of the forefront. And it's been evolving. I mean, uh, Dom will talk about this during the podcast, but he mentions during the podcast, so I'm going to ruin this for him. Sorry, Dom. Uh, the global uh, 
market for mobile device management in 2022 was 6.9 billion expected to be 22 billion in 2027 so it's exploding right now and it's going to be you know as now i don't want to say as everything goes online everything's networked everything is online everything is networked but as people are realizing this and realizing um how often people are doing things like oh i don't know but just as an example say tyler's doing right now and working on his own personal mac instead of a work computer um how important that is so yeah that 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 market is expanding right now and probably needs to be yeah and something that almost happened hand in hand with with that change uh was the ongoing and growing strategy of hackers exploiting the human element uh within enterprise i mean i can't tell you the exact correlation with that but just people are just more susceptible now to those social engineering attacks and you just the different spam emails where you click the link and it says this will take you here but it doesn't take you there and now you have this new amazing and wonderful piece of malware on your computer isn't that just the greatest um so it's and as we've seen the continuation of the growth of ai in the space and social engineering attacks um, just hackers have been much more ready to exploit that human element. And Dom gets into that a little bit more, too, uh, in in the next couple of minutes here. And I will say from a personal standpoint, Dom is my kind of guest on the podcast is, you know, th there are people and, you know, there are people in the world that they go in high school. They know what they want to do for a living. And then in college, they I'm going to be a lawyer. And then they do pre-law and they do law school. And then they practice law for 50 years and are perfectly happy and love it. Uh, I tend to like and relate more to people who are, uh, who are well-rounded, who have tried a bunch of different things. And I know when we were getting ready to, to do the interview with Dom, I looked through his LinkedIn page and I was like, okay, well, he's an official for USA hockey. He, uh, worked in radio. He worked for an NPR station for a while. He, he worked both retail and not for Apple. Like it's, he's got a really diverse background, which I, which I found really interesting as he went into this, which I think, allows you to bring something different into your career because you've tried all these different things you've seen it from a lot of different angles you know he was uh, in education for a while so he's he's kind of been all over the place which i thought was uh a fun thing and obviously has been in it and has been in security for quite some time now yeah he has so gary what do you say we bring dom in i think that's a great idea i don't think you were looking for my response i think that was a you know it was a uh it, you you didn't need me to jump in there but i did it anyway no, that's okay. It was a little rhetorical, but I like to be talked to. So, you know, the uh, sad Dom, thing is, I couldn't think of the word rhetorical, which is why I just talked in circles for thirty <laughs> seconds. It's like I know there's a word, and it's not coming to my head. <laughs> rhetorical is what I was going for. That is what we were looking for. Take two. I know that was a rhetorical question, but I answered anyway. Take it, Tyler. All right. So, Dom is the vice president of security and trust at Kanji, where his teams are responsible for technical operations, information security, security risk, data privacy, and compliance. Before joining the Kanji team, Dom built risk-based security technology and privacy programs at Clavio, Kyris, and Barton & Associates. Dom has created several SAAS, or as normal people say, SAS, specific engineering-focused programs using his expertise in product lead hypergrowth, and quantitative security risk management to secure fast-paced modern environments. Let's bring in Dom. Dom, thanks so much for joining us today. 
Thank you very much for having me. I'm very excited to talk with you about intersection of IT and security. Yeah, you know, it's a very big topic, obviously, always an ongoing topic too. You know, there's never there's never really an end to the cybersecurity journey. So you know, just keeping that that conversational door open and you know continuously learning just as as a collective people within the cybersecurity community is just it is really just really beneficial and helpful for sure. So just kind of jumping out, I guess, to our little QA here. Um how do you perceive the evolving role of the CISO in influencing decisions at the C-level table? Oh, great question. I think uh, a CISO working with peers at the C-level, it's really important that you're taking an education approach to sort of making sure that you're speaking the same language, right? I think we often have common vernacular for things when it comes to revenue or when it comes to customer acquisition or you know, marketing, but different organizations talk about risk, talk about security in different ways, right? And when you're having a conversation about the vulnerabilities that your organization's assets have or uh, that face your people within your organization, uh, it's important that people are speaking the same language. So I think, you know, first and foremost, it starts with sort of coming up with an organization's shared understanding of what that language is for its organization. And a lot of that starts with educa education of and the socialization of of what the common terms are that you'd use as you're talking through different cybersecurity matters with, with your executives. And another big part is sort of making those conversations uh, in terms that that group understands, which typically involves talking in terms of dollars and cents, right? Uh, it's really hard to quantify you know, the investment that you're making at, from a cybersecurity perspective when you're talking in more subjective terms, right? So having numbers to correlate to potential loss events is really important. That's why I've been a big fan of uh, incorporating sort of the factor analysis of information risk or, or FAIR method into how my organizations talk about cybersecurity risk. And uh, I like to take a more uh, quantitative approach to sort of risk management with my executive teams. So are there any any situations that you've observed where the input of a CISO has made a direct impact on a major C-level uh, decision? Yeah, I think often when uh, you're thinking around and talking through how your organization uh, is responding to sort of global events, be it uh, events that you know affect your organization or events that are outside of your organization's direct sphere of influence, um, you know, the sort of transition to being a fully remote organization uh, during sort of the early stages of the pandemic. The CISO that I was working with at, at my prior organization was super instrumental at sort of helping the organization navigate what that looked like for that company and what other sort of controls we needed to put in place organizationally in order to ensure that our teams were set up to be effective um, and to reduce risk for our business. And I'd like to think that the conversations that I'm having with my partners at the executive level uh, at, at Kanji are helping to address larger uh, sweeping organizational goals and initiatives too. So when you think through how your organization is responding to uh, both internal and external stimulus, it's really important to have, uh, I think, your executive presence felt at that level so that you can help provide context that is unique from a cybersecurity lens. 
So uh, you mentioned a little bit about remote work. Uh, with the rise of remote work, obviously COVID inspired some of that, and I think it's going to continue from here on out. This idea of you know bring your own device policies. How has mobile device management become even more essential for security strategies? Uh, it's like one of the I think early things that almost every you know cybersecurity or an IT executive looks to put in place when they're starting at a company, right? Mobile device management, SSO. Uh, some of these like fun acronyms are typically some of the early things that people want to get in place or to ensure that they understand their current deployment of, right? And I think it was um, a Forbes analysis that I saw recently said that current global market share for MDM was roughly 6.9 billion in 2022. That's projected to reach 22 billion by 2027, right? And like the, the ways in which we enable people to work uh, needs to evolve with how people are working. And I think the you know, organizations will always have their primary issued organization device, but then you get into secondary devices that people use, be it for sort of QA testing or you know, other testing that you're doing uh, throughout your engineering teams, or you know, people have their mobile devices, they have their home devices, and there are certain postures that your organization might want to put into place that enable people to work from you know, unsanctioned company devices um, that like they need to have some insights into and some controls around. And I think mobile device management is going to be a huge part of not just like the past and where we've gotten, but how you know we continue to enable and secure how our workforces interact with company and customer data. And this has become a problem. I mean, especially what we talk a lot about the OT side of the house. It's become a problem. I was literally just going through an interview earlier today where the person I was talking to talked about how some, uh, the overnight team at a plant wanted to watch Netflix. So they connected their own computer into the systems to connect it into the internet. And that, you know, obviously caused some problems. How do you ensure that all of the devices that get connected to your organization's network are compliant with your security policies? Um, by by layering in how organization devices and non-sanctioned devices can connect to like corporate resources, right? So we have different like SSIDs and different network VLANs and different network segments that we put into place to ensure that only sanctioned devices are able to connect to more privileged networks. And you know, we do that through certificates or we do that through certain types of uh, network defenses and controls. And then we create paths by which people can bring their own devices to other networks that are contained and segmented from more, like I said before, more privileged or uh, sensitive networks. So try and create segmentation, trying to enable people to have uh, ease of access in a way that allows them to use, let's say, like the example that you gave, uh, a personal device to watch Netflix uh, in a way that they're not going to try to get that device onto a more privileged network because it's easy for them to get onto, let's say, a guest network. And it's also something that has the protections in place to ensure that traffic is not going to cross over into that more sensitive part of your network zones. So kind of continuing a, with more of the, the human element here of security a little bit. Um, so hacker, hackers are definitely more just increasingly exploiting the element, the human element, quote unquote, uh, 
within enterprises, you know, we are especially seeing this with uh, as artificial intelligence just grows stronger here, we've got a lot more social engineering types of attacks. What kind of strategies are, would you recommend that companies put in place to help, you know, train employees and help them realize the differences between, Hey, this is an actual email from someone else. Or if this is like, you know, just some sort of hacker trying to get into your systems. Um, so there's a lot of different ways to do this. I think I'd be, um, remiss by only talking about user education, right? As a security and, and IT professional, you need to put in technical defenses to help your organization to, to weed out some of these less sophisticated attacks, right? Uh, be that, you know, uh, an AI email security solution that's going to look at a variety of different factors and help make determinations around sort of what, um, the, the quality of a particular message that's coming inbound. But like I said before, user education is a huge part of it. And being able to provide not just the like, hey, this is what you do in the case of getting a phishing or a smishing attack, but like targeted training for certain roles and personnel within your organization to say, we see a lot of these types of inbound attacks in your sort of segment or your role within the company or hey you just joined our company we've seen in the past that when people just join and they announce on linkedin that they're starting at our company that within a couple of weeks they get a text message from our ceo or someone impersonating our ceo right so these are things to look out for and this is what you should do in the event that you get one of these it helps to make that training land a little bit better and more effective it's funny that you mentioned that. That actually happened to me. Uh, like within a week or two of being hired here, I got an email from from our our president and CEO asking for me to go to the store and pick up some Amazon gift cards. So uh, that's always a funny story I like to tell. And, and an excellent introduction into the cybersecurity sphere for sure, firsthand. Um, so getting into IT and InfoSec a little bit, what are some of the primary challenges in breaking down the barriers between those two departments? Um. Well... I like to think of those two departments as not so separated and segmented, right? Like my teams at Kanji are security engineering operations and IT. Um, and I think there's a lot of overlap between how, say, your security engineering organization might look into different events that are happening within your environment and the telemetry that you have, and then either changes that IT is going to help to facilitate or other insights that IT is able to provide. So I think that organizations need to start treating their IT and security groups as uh, not so segmented and separated, right? We talk a lot about tearing down the wall between IT and security at Kanji and what we're trying to build from our products and our offerings, uh, we feel like is really going to help IT professionals and security professionals work more harmoniously together. Uh, when you think about solutions like vulnerability management, um, a great a great foray or a great entry point into, let's say, a, a topic that's typically a security tool that security teams own and operate. Um, security teams should, I think, be able to help provide context for the findings of your vulnerability tool, like how potentially exploitable is this tool, right? Let's, let's take the CVSS score and help to sort of make it a little bit uh, more adapted to your organization, but 
in many times I've worked at companies where security team will have findings from their vulnerability telemetry and create tickets and kick things to a remediation team. It might be IT, it might be your cloud or your platform teams where say, hey, these are the security findings that we have, go and fix them. And when you have that type of interaction with your peer partners across your organization, you tend to get a lot of resistance to the work that you're injecting into their into their work. Right? And when you're able to create a, a working relationship between, say, IT and security, where IT is really the owner of some of these tools and security can help provide context for the findings, right? you're able to have sort of an inverted relationship where IT is using these tools, security is a stakeholder in them, but IT is really the, the actor for, let's say, remediations on your endpoints. I think it, it helps to flip that narrative where security is often viewed as an injector of work or someone who might not understand the impact of a particular finding uh, or the organization. Like security has helped to, there to help, in my mind, there to help provide that context and empower remediation teams to really take the appropriate steps to reduce risk at to an appropriate level. Makes sense. I mean, so you you mentioned that you you don't feel personally that there's there's that much blue sky between IT and InfoSec. Why has there traditionally been this wall between the two sides, and how has that impacted you know security strategies in the past? Um, I personally don't feel like there's a lot of blue sky. Uh, I've been at organizations where there is, and I've worked at organizations where we're really actively trying to uh, make the sort of world a little less divided. And, um, you know, I think the best ways by which uh, organizations are able to do that is by creating strong working relationships and working agreements between, let's say, your security teams and your peer partners so that you understand how those teams work. You're better able to understand the priorities of those teams. And I, I really feel that the best way for security to help the business is by understanding the business's goals could be any business team right uh, and then being able to say like all right how can we help build security into what you're trying to do and accomplish that way you're able to move from a point where security is not at the forefront of what you're doing but you become a sort of an extension of the security team sort of like a security champions type of program or you know call it what you will uh, but it's a, a way to kind of multiply the impact of security across the organization. You've, you've kind of touched on this a couple of times during this interview, the the idea that a lot of times security is looked at as a, an impediment to business. It's just this extra step that we have to do that gets in the way of us making our widgets or whatever we're doing. Um, but I think it is really important to make that business case for cybersecurity for everybody from the sea level down to the plant floor to everybody in between that, you know, you need to be able to, explain how it is actually helping the business and how it can hurt the business if things go off the rails. I couldn't agree with you more. Uh, I think organizations that have effective cybersecurity programs have effective cybersecurity consciousness across their organization. So you're able to do that by understanding what the teams are attempting to do or regardless of where they're positioned, right? On your plant floor, in your boardroom, and being able to talk to that stakeholder group and languages and ways that they understand 
helps to really multiply the effectiveness of your program. Can you give us a success story or a, a memory from your organization, from your career, where you've seen this increased collaboration between IT and InfoSec really lead to improved security and honestly better business outcomes? Yeah, um, working closely with revenue and with procurement, right? When you think about third-party security um, and third-party risk management, many different particularly at smaller organizations, right? You might not have a procurement function that's helping to facilitate your onboarding of, let's say, third-party solutions, right? Working closely with my revenue teams and working closely with other stakeholder groups, uh, you know, able to best understand, like, what are the tools that we're using right now? What are the risks that these tools introduce or pose to our organization, be it from, like, not having them uh, behind our single sign-on solution or right, that maybe they fundamentally handle data in an ins like insecure way, right? But being able to understand what tools people are using and why they're using them, what they're trying to accomplish with the third parties that we're using, and then being able to say, all right, like these are, let's say, duplicative tools that we have that we could potentially reduce data sprawl to some of these third-party solutions by just centralizing uh, on these business supported tools, right? And then being able to align, let's say, IT to help facilitate any cutover that, you know, a, say, marketing team has for a third-party tool that they're using that they potentially could centralize into the more sanctioned solution that you, you're offering. Um, but it doesn't start with like saying, hey, you can't use this tool anymore, right? It starts with asking, what are you using this tool to try and accomplish? And then being able to navigate to a solution where you're saying all right well we're, we're not going to use this tool anymore for these reasons and we're also going to support cutover because we're going to align our team's resources to help support that and we have a strong understanding of what you're trying to do because we've taken the time to learn it um i had a ceo uh my one of my former companies who often would say move slow to go fast Right? And it's something that's really stuck with me throughout my career is, is sometimes you have to go a little bit slowly to best understand the world that you're trying to navigate to then be able to move incredibly quickly uh, to achieve the growth that you want. Right, And so that's something that I've tried to take into the culture of my security team since then is move a little slowly at the beginning to get and gain understanding to speak that common language. You're able to move much more quickly. We have an ex-Marine that we talked to. Who I guess there's a saying in the Marine, slow is smooth and smooth is fast. Yeah. I like that. So uh, switching back over here to um, multi-device management systems one more time. Uh, in what ways does a remote, a robust MDM system serve as the foundation for a successful security strategy, especially in a multi-device or multi-platformed environment? That's a great question. I think that... Being able to have a solution where you're able to create policies for a variety of different device types or device families uh, is incredibly important to be able to ensure that you have a strong posture across your organization's fleet and potentially like the BYOD devices that your users are bringing in and introducing into your organization. And it's hard for IT and security professionals to know sort of the extent of the policies that they're pushing out to devices if you're doing that across several different platforms, right? I want to be able to go to a solution, be able to write my 
of organizations' policies there and to deploy them to managed and unsanctioned devices. Um, and some platforms do that better than others. And I think right, being able to have a MDM perspective, or not an MDM perspective, but being able to have um, an MDM solution that you're able to use across different device types will really help centralize the policy creation and management. So you know, this is how I'm creating these device access policies, and I'm able to deploy them to a variety of different device types. So in your position at, at Kanji, I mean, you've got, you're, you're up there in, in the ranks a little bit. Uh, what are your future visions for strengthening the relations between device management and overall enterprise security? So I think, um, like I, I, I took the role at Kanji because I get to help build not only a security and, and IT programs for the organization, but I get to really help influence the products that we're building too, right? Because we're building products for professionals that are like me, right? Uh, I, I'm, I come from an IT background. I work in security and the products that we're building for our ideal customers are basically my peers across the org like different organizations that uh, we work with and I get to not only help influence the programs from an IT and security perspective at Kanji, but I get to help you know, provide insights on product design, on product lifecycle, and really get to build in security into how we work and the products that we're offering. Because you know, I'm a practitioner who ultimately is going to want to use the products that we're building. That actually leads. We we usually start with this, but I'm gonna I'm gonna sort of close with this this time. We usually ask about uh, people we're talking to's background. What brought you to this point in your career? So, um, how did you get from the beginning of the career that uh, of your career to the position you're in now? And uh, yeah, just give us a little bit of your background and your cybersecurity journey. Sure, it's kind of a unique one. I graduated from undergrad with a, a non technical background and and uh, degrees. I have a bachelor's in English literature and philosophy, and um, I minored in rhetoric. So I had the art of persuasive discourse, right? And um, we're judging you on all of yeah, that. Yeah, it's okay. Right I think Tyler has a similar background, right? I think I saw that. You're I saw correct. a smile there too. Yeah. So, um, so I came into the world of IT and security by ways of radio broadcast and radio automation and had a chance to manage my college radio station and work for NPR while I was in undergrad, took a role at Apple early on and was doing work, both, you know, Apple retail and corporate retail and had a chance to learn about sort of how people were using devices uh, in different ways and then had a chance to work in education, doing educational technology, and um, really quickly realized that the world of education was not for me. And uh, I started at that point, like the career switch of going from sort of this non-technical background, working with and parallel to sort of technology to um, taking roles at different position or taking roles at different companies where I was helping to build out IT programs. And I had really strong mentors throughout my career and took a lot of like self-led leadership or self-led learning um, where I would ask my mentors different questions, uh, put myself into positions where I'd be a little bit uncomfortable, a little bit vulnerable, not just in positions in like the roles I was taking, but positions just sort of in 
sort of my network and meeting new people and asking questions and, and being open to learning. And, um, you know, recently prior to coming to Kanji, I was helping to build out a security risk and compliance programs for a e-commerce company that was based in the Boston area. And, you know, being an early security hire there, I got to learn a lot about what it meant to start security programs. And uh, in prior roles, I'd been in sort of like a security type of space where sort of helping to build and, and define audit controls uh, to help organizations achieve sort of different attestations and certifications. And in the role here at Kanji, I thought it was so unique in terms of being able to help build Greenfield security program, but also to build like to help influence products like I was mentioning before, right? I don't really, didn't really see many opportunities where I'd be able to get in early stage and help shape a security and privacy program at a company while also being able to provide a lot of insights on the product design that I'm able to at Kanji. So sort of the ideal role for me. Very interesting background. It's funny how many people we talk to that do not have a straight line to a cybersecurity career. It tends to take all kinds, I think. Yeah, I think it does, right? There's space in cybersecurity for people who are deeply technical, and there's space in cybersecurity for people who are highly analytical and like to sort of like be on the other side, not so much on the, the deep technology side, but understand technology and understand business and want to be able to help organizations navigate the risk landscape. Uh, there's There's space for those types of people, too. All right, I'm going to close this out with a, a very important question here. Uh, it's a discussion that Tyler and I have around the virtual water cooler. And we started asking people this during Cybersecurity Awareness Month in October. Um, the, the, the debate was, are there any good cybersecurity movies and TV shows? So what is, it doesn't have to be good. What is your favorite movie or TV show that has something to do with cybersecurity? Again, it doesn't need to be positive. It can be one that's comical. Uh, but what's one that comes to mind for you? Wow. I'm going to need a minute to think about this. If you Can you guys give me your answers while I'm also thinking about this? Oh, too? man, we've been uh, we've had people come from every angle. We've gotten Mr. Robot a lot, uh-huh. uh, We but we've gotten everything from office space and parks and recreation to I can't I never remember which Die Hard it is. Uh, uh, live Free Die Hard, I think. Live Free or Die Hard. Yeah, that was one. We've had the Speed. Matrix. Maybe we had yeah. speed at one point. Sandra Bowl. So I'm gonna go with another like just like guilty pleasure of mine, which is the US version of The Office. Right. Mm-hmm. I think in that show, there's probably five or six different IT professionals that come through uh the little Scranton paper company, and they never can seem to remember who the IT person is who's helped set things up. There's this one episode where you know, they have like a power blip, which kind of goes into like, hey, you don't really have like a like a UPS system there to sort of manage power. Uh, and then their server goes down and they're talking through sort of what is the password to get the server back up. Um, and I can't remember what that password was. I know it was inappropriate, but uh, it just sort of uh, also pointed to the fact that like organizations don't really often think about their IT and security teams as being like fundamentally a part of the business and the strategy of how that organization is, is moving forward. And uh, I, I'd like to think that my teams are a little bit different than the IT professionals who are kind of coming and going within the office. 
Great answer. We have definitely not gotten that one before. Uh, Tom, pleasure to meet you. Pleasure to talk to you. Thanks so much for coming on. Tyler and Gary, thank you very much for having me. Really appreciate it. And there you have it, folks. Another great, great conversation with Dom Lombardi this time. I This is apropos of nothing. I've had the song Sunroof in my head all morning. I think it's like Nikki Yor is the... So I've been singing Dom's name to the Dom, 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 da, da, Dom. Just so you know, Dom, if you're listening, that's what I've been doing with your name all morning. Uh, interesting stuff about mobile device management there. One of the things that he said in that in, in his interview that stuck with me this time was that concept of move slow to go fast. So he was kind of talking about the business impact and getting buy-in throughout an organization for cybersecurity, which as we talk about constantly on this podcast with people is, is necessary. Um, I think you, you, you do want to move quickly, but you really need to understand that environment uh, so that, you know, understand what's there. You're all speaking a common language and then you can start to move, but take it slow at the beginning. So you understand what it is you have to protect, what the important things are, um, before you try to make those big jumps. So I think that move slow to go fast. We've heard it from other people. Um, I think there's a, Marine, a, a comment when ex Marine who's talked to us that I can't remember what the comment was exactly, but it's like something about smooth slow is smooth and smooth is fast i think is what it was but that kind of so move slow then go fast i think it's a good a, a good rule of thumb for anybody working in this industry yeah and another good i guess analogy too is a flywheel too right wheels take a time some time to get moving but then once it's moving it's cooking so it's just making sure you start slow to move fast as dom said uh and kind of to add to that too he talked a bit about um tearing down the wall between it and infosec and how that is important to just collaboration and communication. And that's part of that slowdown process that he's talking about with moving slow to go fast. Because you have to have everybody on the same page. As we've talked about many, many a times on many a moons, um, on many months in this podcast, is breaking down that 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 wall between those divided uh, sectors just to help increase understanding communication realize that secure in uh, cybersecurity is just cybersecurity there's no ot cybersecurity there's no it cybersecurity it is just cybersecurity right and he and i like the way he talked about it specifically we've had people do this before and just say there shouldn't be a divide between them it should just be cybersecurity so you know it, it, this idea of it it should not be segmented there is already so much overlap that you there are companies that are going to need to do it. They're going to need to bridge that gap and get those two teams working together. But you should approach it not as they are two separate teams, but you are all on the same team trying to do the same thing. You may be approaching it from different angles, but that communication and working together and being part of one team is the way to do it. Exactly. And you know what the best way to be a team player is? W what is that, Tyler Wall? I think it would be checking out all of the great content we have on our site icspulse.com, or if you prefer typing much longer than that, industrialcybersecuritypulse.com. You know, I never thought about doing that, Tyler. What kind of stuff can I find on icspulse.com? Well, I'm so glad you asked, Gary, because you can find so many different kind of articles on critical infrastructure, protecting that, uh, the ITOT divide, Industry 4.0, uh, IIoT protection and device security. You can also find 
some different webcasts we have in the past and um, watch those bad boys because there's a lot of great content in those. Got a great video series. Uh, of course, the home of this podcast is where you should also spend a lot of time because we have a lot of great podcasts on here. I need you guys to boost our listens. Okay, we have some great stuff. We had a, our last podcast was pretty great with with a guy from Skynet. You should check that out as well. And make sure you tune in next time for another great conversation that Gary and I we have with another expert. Um, it should be another good one. And always, you got to love the fun question at the beginning. I know that's always the highlight. Wow, Tyler. Now that I know that all that great content's there, I'm going to go on ICS Pulse every day. This Good. play brought to you by the great people at CFA Media and Technology. <laughs> <laughs> um, thanks so much for that. As always, if you want to talk to us, you can reach me. I'm at G Cohen, G C O H E N, at CFEmedia.com. And I am T Wall at CFEmedia.com. Happy holidays, everybody. It is the holiday season. Enjoy it. Stay safe out there. Thanks for being with us. Mm-hmm.